Welcome back to the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. Today, my guest is Laura Pope from explorewithlaura.com. She's a expert in solo female travel. She's been to over 70 countries and she shows us the best of hiking, diving, and wildlife experiences on the planet. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, would love to kick off the episode by just telling us a little bit about who is Explore with Laura. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Laura. Uh, I started Explore with Laura in 2018 when I was backpacking. Um, I took a year off my nine to five to travel and get it out of my system, which obviously didn't work. Um, I backpacked actually from Guatemala to the bottom of Argentina um, and then went over to Asia for a few months. And yeah, it just made my wanderlust stronger than ever. So basically when I got back from that job, I or got back from that trip to my job, I was like, oh my God, I can't deal with this. So I was like, how do I make money online? I had started my blog when I was traveling, but I didn't really understand like SEO or how to actually make money. Um, So I started taking blogging courses, started freelance writing, and then quit a few months later um, to pursue it. And yeah, it's been like four years now on the road, um, just sort of traveling and living in different places. I've definitely transitioned from being a backpacker to a digital nomad. Um, over those years. And yeah, now instead of writing just purely backpacking guides, I do a lot more like uh, guides to living in different cities, especially nomad destinations. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's basically a quick summary of the last five years of my life. Um, But yeah, feel free to ask me any any specifics about that. Yeah, that's cool. So was Guatemala kind of your first destination? Yeah, it was. I booked like a one-way ticket to Antigua from, I was living in Toronto actually at the time and I found like a cheap flight to Antigua. So I was like, okay, that seems like a cool place. Cause I was really obsessed with overland travel for a long time. So I just had this idea that it would be really amazing to travel from uh, there to Argentina. Mm-hmm. And h- how did you do that? How did I get there? Yeah. Like how, like how did you travel overland? a lot of buses (laughs) um yeah mainly just buses actually in central america and then i only took the i don't know if you're familiar with like the san blas islands between panama and Mm -hmm. Colombia. i did like the sailing trip through there because you can't travel by land Mm -hmm. and then yeah honestly i think it was all buses (laughs) that's cool so it was really latin america that kind of kicked off your love of travel? Definitely was Latin America. I had actually gone, because when I was working my job before that trip, I was traveling a lot to Central America just because, like, you know, when you're in Canada, it's one of, like, the quickest places to get. It's not quick, but, like, as opposed to going to Asia or Europe or something, if I had a week Mm -hmm. off work, you know, I could go to Costa Rica for a week. Um, That was actually the first place I went was Costa Rica, and I was like, oh, my God this is amazing. I love wildlife. I love nature. So I fell in love with the biodiversity there. But then, yeah, it was definitely that trip in Latin America that solidified my love of travel. And what do you, what do you like about travel? What keeps you going? Oh, so many things. Uh, I think I'm just a really curious person. Um, 
so yeah, it's mainly just a curiosity for the world, learning how other people live, just getting other perspectives. Um, I just love like talking to people in different countries and, and kind of just seeing how they see the world um, because it's just a form of self self growth to like get all these different perspectives. And then of course there's like the, I think for me, like I love nature. I mean, I grew up like in the wilderness, I grew up in Newfoundland, but I just love seeing all the different like landscapes we have in this world, um, especially like Patagonia area, going hiking there, um, you know, looking for wildlife in Costa Rica. Like those experiences are just so special to me. And yeah, I just don't think I could ever get sick of like trying to see everything in this world. There's so much beauty to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I think I read on your blog that Guatemala continues to be your favorite country in Central America? Yeah, I would say Guatemala is definitely a top choice for me there. I don't know if it's because it like was the start of my trip, but I like hold it very dear in my heart. But also I just think it's like an amazing country in terms of like value for money. Um, it has a lot of culture, it has a lot of beauty and crazy volcano hikes. Yeah, I really like that your website has a, a good amount of travel guides and and they can be quite well written. Like the one to Belize, the ultimate guide to Belize is, is really great and kind of breaks down all the different regions and stuff like that. Um, what was your inspiration to start writing travel guides? I started, like I said, when I was doing my backpacking trip and I think like a lot of bloggers, I just kind of did it as a way to document my travels and you know, share with my, have something to show my friends and family. But the reason I kept doing it and got into like blogging as a business is because I, I had always loved traveling before I started my blog, but I would, and I always loved photography. So I would like take all these photos and have all these like amazing experiences abroad. And then I would go home back to normal life. And other than just like putting my photos on Facebook, I felt like I wasn't doing anything with the trip. So it's like I had this amazing experience and then it just kind of ended and when I started blogging, I just thought it was such a cool way to document the experience I had and then also be able to share with other people and show people how to you know, do the same thing that I did um, and share that love of travel. And it just kind of added this whole layer of like enjoyment from traveling that I like, yeah, it just really increased like how I felt about the trip afterwards. Um, and then obviously when people started reading my blog and, you know, like reaching out and telling me that I helped them plan a trip or inspired them to travel solo, that was just like this amazing feeling that I'd never had before. Yeah. So you went fully nomadic in 2019. You quit the nine to five in Canada and you've yeah. been basically nomading uh, ever since. But I understand that you were, you've been doing like female solo travel for over a decade. Um, and so what, what were you doing? Were you kind of like saving money working in Canada and then doing adventures and then you kept going back or how, you know, how did you kind of get your start and then, um, and then make it a switch? Yeah, I actually took my first solo trip in like 2019, which is, oh my gosh, almost 14 years ago. Uh, it was when I was in, I took a gap year in university, like I went to university straight out of high school um, to study science and it didn't go well for me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a year off. I found out about this program called Students Working Abroad. 
So I got a work visa for Ireland and I moved there by myself. It was like the first time I'd gone solo anywhere. And it, yeah, that trip definitely changed my entire life because as you probably know, when you, before you travel solo somewhere, you're not really sure like what's going to happen. It's very scary. And then you end up meeting all of these amazing people who are also traveling solo. So that was kind of like my first introduction into the world of backpacking and, and all that. Um, so that was like the first year. And then I did go back to university after that. Uh, and I ended up deciding to study like international business because they had a requirement that you had to study abroad. Mm -hmm. So I did that program and I ended up moved, studying abroad in New Zealand, uh, in Auckland, which was amazing. And then when I started working after university, I finally had disposable income. So yeah, that's when I started taking a lot of trips to like Central America, like I was talking about. And yeah, I would basically just like maximize any time I could get off work. I was, I worked for uh, like the federal government. So, I mean, I had three weeks of vacation, but I would always max it with like, you know, statutory holidays. Um, I took like compressed work week. So I had every second Friday off. So basically like every month I was able to go on like a week holiday, which mm -hmm. was pretty amazing, but it definitely wasn't enough for me. Like it's like every time I would travel, I would just want to travel more. So yeah, that's why I started working, well, working online, building my blog and getting into the nomad lifestyle. Cause I would wanted something sustainable to be able to do it from, for the rest of my life. And is it important to you to try to get to every country in the world when you were taking these one week trips? Were you like, how were you um, prioritizing where to go? Um, I think at the time when I was working, because I was flying in and out from Toronto, I was prioritizing where to go on basically where was the cheapest place to go. I don't know if you know the website YYZ Deals. No. I was very obsessed with that. Um, and yeah, just wherever I could get a cheap flight ticket was because at the time I wanted to go everywhere. And I still do. Like, I mean, I would love to see the entire world, but I think as I've traveled more, I've definitely slowed down the speed that I travel and I've learned that I love to go back places um, and take longer. So I wouldn't say getting to every country at the speed of light is like my top priority right now. Um, but I'm definitely, yeah, I'm still interested in that. Yeah, for sure. This YYZ deals site's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. Oh, you've um, never heard of it? No. Oh, really? I don't know if they still, like, it was really big when I lived in Toronto. I don't know how they went, did through the pandemic. <laughs> it kind of like has like an old school template or feel to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like Scott's cheap flights in the States and, and, and these types of sites. Yeah, it's just good. if It's very specific to Toronto, obviously. So I think they have like an email list you can sign up for. I, I always remember... Um, Growing up, it was like selloffvacations.com yeah. and stuff like that. Have you ever done anything like that for, for cheap deals? Like take someone's all-inclusive off them or I don't know, stuff like that? I have only done an all-inclusive once uh, and I really didn't like it. I did it with some friends like when I was working in Cuba. Like we went to Cuba, I mean. And I just remember like, I think it was really cheap. I think less than a hundred, a thousand dollars to go for like a week from Canada to Cuba. But 
I remember feeling like I was trapped in the resort and I just wanted to get out and actually experience the country. And yeah, after that, I was like, I'm never doing one of these packages again. I think for me, I kind of like to curate my own itineraries. So yeah, those things just don't really appeal to me. So you're from Newfoundland, uh, which uh, for those that don't know, is an island on the east coast of Canada. Um, if I'm describing that accurately enough. Yeah, um, the most easterly point in North America. There you go. Um, do you feel that growing up on an island has some impact on your love of travel? Yeah, I think it definitely impacted my love of the outdoors, which is definitely directly linked to my love of travel. Like I said, I grew up on like just surrounded by wilderness, um, doing a lot of hiking. And I think being by the ocean definitely impacted um, that. But it's weird, actually, because most people from Newfoundland don't want to travel. It's very I'm kind of like an odd sheep in that way. Um, most people are very like content just being there and miss home a lot when they leave. So I'm not actually really sure where I got this insane wanderlust from, but I've had it like as long as I can remember. I remember I used to have a like subscription to National Geographic when I was younger and I would like cut out all the pictures of like exotic animals and maps and like pin them to my wall. And I just always have this obsession with like seeing the world. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's a normal thing for Newfoundlanders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it kind of brings up an interesting topic, which is like, uh, you know, what, what do your family and friends think? I mean, they're very supportive. I think when I first like went on this trip when I was 19, my parents were really worried. Um, but then after that, I kept traveling and they're just like so used to it at this point that <laughs> <laughs> they don't really say anything. Um, they know like I'm, I'm never going to live in Newfoundland again. And yeah, they're just happy that I was able to find a way to make it work. And they love following my adventures. So it's good. Do you think you would uh, eventually move back to Canada or do you think that, um, uh, yeah, do you think that somewhere else in the world might be better to settle down? No, I don't think I will move back. I kind of never felt like I belonged in Canada. Like, I mean, I think it's a great country. It's beautiful. Um, obviously, I miss my friends and family, but I just never felt like it was the right place for me. And since I started living abroad in different places, I feel much more like myself. Like I would say I actually feel more at home in Mexico than I do in Canada. So yeah, I can't see myself ever living there. Maybe having like a summer home in Newfoundland, like in the future when it's warm there, mm -hmm. um, but definitely nothing permanent. What, what do you think it is that makes you not feel at home in Canada and makes you maybe feel more at home or feel more alive uh, when you're abroad? Because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, I think it's just the kind of lifestyle, the way people live in Canada, and such as Canada, it's similar in the US and other like Western countries. It's just the whole grind of working a nine to five, like you're kind of expected to just work a job that you don't even really like and then live for the weekends and, you know, buy a house and get married, have kids. Um, and there's kind of this mentality that you have to be better than your neighbor. So I find 
people and it's not everyone, but a lot of people were very like materialistic and just wanted to spend their money on items. And I just never related to that. Like I always wanted to spend my money on experiences. And when I started traveling abroad was when I felt like I, I'm, you know, I think that's very common in the digital nomad community. So it was like everybody that I met abroad, it's like I had this connection to, and I felt like we were kind of speaking the same language where at home, I just felt like I was just couldn't relate to my friends and we just didn't have the same goals. And I also just found it difficult to get people to get out and do things like nobody wanted to like come hiking with me on the weekends or like go camping. Like it was, whereas like when you're traveling, people are super open, they're super up for doing things. And I just love that um, like mentality to like get out and make the most of your time. So yeah, I just didn't really relate to people there. Yeah, I know you're talking about. And do you still kind of like go back to Toronto every once in a while? Um, uh, you probably still have like friends there. Do you, do you kind of like meet up with people when you're in town? Yeah, definitely. I visited like last summer. I'd been gone for like two years from Canada, but I went home um, for a few weddings this summer. And I was in Toronto for like 10 days. And it was actually really fun because all the concerts were back and I stayed at with my old roommate that I used to live with. And yeah, we ended up going to like seven concerts in a 10 day period. And yeah, it was a really good time. I definitely love like visiting and, and seeing my friends, but I just don't, I know I wouldn't be happy living there. What, what do you think the difference is where like visiting is always pretty fun and cool, but like living there um, maybe becomes too much of a routine or, or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think when you're visiting, there's just like a lot more, excitement i mean i think people because you you're not there all the time people kind of make it a priority to see you so it's like easy to have a lot of plans when you're home for a condensed period um and then i think this summer was just kind of a special situation because everybody was just kind of eager to get out after all the covid lockdowns and you know all the artists were touring again so because i don't i remember when i lived in toronto like I did not even go to that many concerts in like the five years I lived there that I went in the summer. So it definitely felt like a different experience. Do you think the, um, the whole concept of, of it being hard to get people out, do you think that that's a, a Toronto thing or a Canada thing? Or do you think it's kind of like universal wherever people are just kind of in a, uh, like a work city? Mm. I think it, yeah, I think it's probably somewhat universal because I kind of experienced the same thing even when I was living in Colorado uh, a few summers ago, which is a very outdoorsy place, but I still found people were kind of in that like nine to five mentality and then just wanting to like drink on the weekends. So what, how is it that you were able to escape the nine to five? Tell us a little bit about maybe how you built up the blog income or uh, yeah, however you're, you're doing it. Yeah. So I have done many things. Um, When I first, like I said, when I went back to my job, I started taking blogging courses, which I would definitely recommend if you want to start a blog, because it's not obvious how you make money (laughs) and it's a lot faster if you learn from someone who's already doing it. Um, So I, 
I started, you know, building up the blog. And once you reach a certain amount of page views, you can apply for ad networks. And also, like, if you're familiar with affiliate marketing, when you promote certain things on your website. So those are like the two ways that I was making money. There's still like, I would say predominantly the two ways I make money, but then my timing was kind of unfortunate because I quit my job in June, 2019. And then I actually got rid of my place in Toronto, December, 2019. So like three months before COVID um, to become a digital nomad. And then that happened and pretty much every travel blogger like had their income wiped out overnight. So that was really unfortunate. And that's when I started freelance writing. And then I did that for like two or three years. I don't really do it anymore because I'm thankfully now I'm able to live off the blog income. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I also did like content creation for uh, this travel startup. I mean, I think when you, the cool thing about blogging is that you kind of develop like different skills, like obviously writing, but like photography, videography, um, you learn about like SEO, you learn about website design. So a lot of bloggers kind of have side hustles or they do freelance work for clients, um, to support blogging income because it can be a little bit erratic sometimes. So yeah, I've just kind of done like various side hustles. Uh, along the way and then also living in um, cheaper destinations like you know Canada's gotten so expensive which is another reason I mentioned that but yeah part of the reason I don't live there is because it's just actually so much more affordable to live abroad yeah so uh, the website is explorewithlaura.com how many how many pages does it have like how many blog articles um, it has around 300 right now. I'm actually in the process of updating and deleting a bunch of old posts because when I, like I said, when I started in 2018, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so I'm trying to kind of clean it up and and make sure every post is good on its own. And how did you like build your original audience? I saw that you're kind of across a lot of different platforms. You're pretty big on Instagram. I think you do Pinterest. How did you kind of build that up? Um, just over time, like I started, I think I started a social media account for on everything at the same time I started my blog. And honestly, I tried to do my approach has always kind of been doing a little bit of everything at once, which I wouldn't necessarily say is is the best approach. I think there's like definitely something to be said about going all in on one thing. But I've just always kind of been someone who likes variety. Um, but yeah, I would say like Instagram has been the one I've probably been the most consistent with, but then I have also gotten on like the TikTok train in the last few years. And yeah, like I was talking about blogging courses. I just kind of learned from there about how to like what you should be doing on each different platform and just like. Yeah, just putting a little bit of energy into each one each day slowly builds up over time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What have been like some of your biggest uh, breakthroughs or biggest features? I saw on your site that um, you've been featured in like uh, some mainstream publications. Yeah, um, I think through freelance writing, I was able to 
you know, get featured. Like I wrote an article for Insider about some of the places I've lived as a digital nomad. Um, I wrote for like Matador Network, like Skyscanner. Um, I think through, it's it's been pretty cool. Like, because before I was a blogger, like I had no experience in writing. So my blog kind of like became my resume. And then I originally, I was just writing for like other blogs. And then as I built that up, I started pitching like other bigger publications um and yeah i i wouldn't say that like i don't know if i call it like a breakthrough but it's definitely like helped bring up my confidence to be able to write for like some of these top travel publications and then off, it's really good like when you're building a blog to have link backs from these websites so it's a really good way to like build authority as well yeah definitely makes sense um, how did you, so you, like, you, you oh. and you've got spots in Condé Nast Traveler, uh, Matador Network, um, USA Today. So lots of, uh, great publications. Yeah. So like I said, freelance writing has helped a lot with that. Um, and then also, I don't know if you're familiar with Harrow. No, what's that? Uh, it's called like help a reporter out. So you can subscribe uh, to uh get like daily email alerts they're kind of annoying but they do pay off if you get uh if, if you get featured in one of the publications so basically a reporter will put out what they're looking for so it might be like i'm looking for like a, a solo female travel expert to talk about this topic so for example like the usa today one she the girl was actually writing an article about i think it was called uh travel bloggers who turned wanderlust into a way of life so she was looking for <laughs> Yeah. I was like, that's perfect. That's me. So I just wrote her, explained my story and she's like, great. And we set up an interview and that's how I got featured in that magazine. So yeah, that's a good way also to get features. Yeah. I actually did a interview with Jen Ruiz, who you might know. And, uh, she, she talked a bit about that as well to help a reporter out. Yeah. I just did a TikTok live with Jen. Oh, cool. Yep. She's a, a previous podcast guest. Everyone can go check that out. Um, I noticed on your Instagram that you specifically said unique destinations, and I liked how you kind of worded that. Um, what makes a unique destination and how do you find that and um, kind of go off the beaten path or <laughs> find find unique travel experiences? Um, I would say I find <laughs> unique destinations um, – again, just out of, out of curiosity of wanting to see like the entire world. Like I find people there's, you know, there's certain destinations that are very popular, like obviously Europe, everybody wants to go to like France and Italy. And for some reason, those destinations just don't, I don't have that like strong desire to, to go to them. And I'm like, but when I look at a map and I'm like looking at the middle of Asia, I'm like, what's going on over there? I just want to know. Um, so I would say just, just kind of looking for, just being curious and looking for places that maybe other people aren't talking about that could be like really amazing. Like, for example, I went to, the first time I went to Africa, I went to Malawi, which most people didn't even know where I was going. Um, and it ended up being this incredible travel experience because 
I got to like work on this elephant conservation uh, project and the people there are super warm and kind. And it's like, I had no idea of like anything about Malawi. And then I just had this wonderful experience. And same thing, like when I went to Pakistan, people were like, oh my God, it's so dangerous. You can't go. And like Pakistan, I genuinely think might have the nicest people in the world. Uh, it was such a cool experience. And I've noticed a lot of people now, like I've seen a lot of travel bloggers are starting to go there and they're all sharing the same thing, that it's like this completely underrated place with super nice people, super beautiful landscapes. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think also just following following other travel creators that kind of go to these, these destinations uh, as well and getting inspiration from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you seem to do a pretty good job of networking with uh, other creators. Um, like I can see uh, you're connected to Cashly Kutrin from Travel Off Path, who's Yeah, I actually used to write guest. for them. <laughs> oh, really? For Travel Off Path? Yeah. There you go. I love it. We get so much continuity on this podcast. Everyone <laughs> kind of knows each other. That's awesome. Yeah, so Cashly has been a guest. Um and another one is Mita Kariman, uh, who uh, uh, we 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 all, we we almost did, did one, but it, we had to reschedule. So we'll yeah, I met her in Barbados. We were living there at the same time. Oh really? You went to Barbados? Yeah, she's great. That's awesome. Yeah, so you, you kind of seem to know uh, a lot of the people in the space. Uh, Chase uh, Chase Warrington as well, um, who's also been a podcast guest. So seems like you kind of do a good job of um, networking with everyone. Do you go to like conferences? I do. I go to a lot of conferences and I think that's been really crucial to like the success I've had in this industry. T tell us a little bit about this because I don't really know what the digital nomad conference circuit looks like. I know a couple of the ones that are out there, you know, nomad summit in in cancun and stuff but yeah tell us tell us about what, what what that's all about yeah so i've actually pretty much been going to travel blogging conferences although i did go to my first digital nomad conference um last summer which mm. i'll talk about um but yeah the first one i ever went to was travel con it's i don't know if you know nomadic matt yep yeah so it's his conference sadly it doesn't exist anymore he just did the last one in memphis last spring. But yeah, I went to Boston in like 2019. And I would actually say that was a huge turning point for me because prior to that, I didn't really know anybody in the industry. I mean, I knew people from online, but I wasn't really networking or reaching out. And then I went to this conference and I met so many amazing people. And like, honestly, some of those people that I met at that conference are like my best friends today. So it definitely had a huge impact on my life. Um, but aside from the networking, it's also just like really good for learning, especially that one at the time, because I was so new in the industry. So they'll have like talks on everything you need to succeed, like, you know, SEO, videography, photography, like there's literally talks on every topic you could want to know as a blogger. Um, and then of course there's like really fun parties. They're always hosted by the, de the destination will host it. So they'll put on like different events for you um, and sometimes fam trips. Like I just went to um, TBEX, Travel Blogger Exchange mm -hmm. in Phuket in Thailand last month. 
And that was so much fun because Thailand, the tourism board of Thailand just completely like went all out for the conference, uh, put on like a really fun party. We had like a party at an aquarium, a uh, party at the water park. And then after the event, you can apply to go like on what's called a fam trip. So it's like a two or three day hosted trip by the tourism board. Um, so I ended up exploring Krabi for a few days with four other content creators. And yeah, it was just like really, really fun time. Um, so yeah, th those are two, well, TVEC still exists. I think they're having one in Greece in May. And then there's like Traverse, which is a European conference. Uh, I went to that in Spain last year. And there's also Women in Travel Summit, which is men can actually go, but it's predominantly women. Um, they're doing that in Puerto Rico this year. There's so many. Sounds like my kind of event, to be honest. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, highly recommend. Uh, I actually just wrote a blog post about all these different conferences. So if you want it, you can link it in the show notes if you want. Yeah, that's really cool. So um, I understand that these conferences typically have a, a pretty hefty like ticket price. Maybe it's like three, three or 500 bucks for the event, maybe even into the thousands sometimes. Um, and then I guess they have like designated hotels maybe that aren't the cheapest. Like how do you sort of ju justify the costs associated with going to the conferences? I think the conferences are actually really good value for what you get. Like, especially Traverse, um, which is the one that I went to in Mallorca. Like, I think I paid, I feel like I paid like a hundred pounds or something for my ticket because I bought the early bird price. That's like a really good tip. That's always way cheaper when they first launch it. Mm -hmm. um, but then, like I said, they're put, the host destination will put on like a week's worth of activities where you're not really paying for like food or um or like, like, like the activity that you're doing. Um, so like at that one, they had like, you know, diving, wine tasting, like all of making workshops. So like all these like tours that you would normally pay a lot of money to go to, if you were just going to go to like America on your own, you just get included mm. with the price of your ticket. And then also you get the talks, you get the parties. There's always like a lot of free alcohol. So for me, like pretty much every conference I've gone to the, the value I've gotten, like just alone, like in like food and drink has been worth the ticket. But then there's also obviously the networking. And I just don't think there's like any price that you can put on like in-person networking. I would say like 90% of the opportunities I've I've gotten through blogging have been like because of people I've met at conferences. Oh, I didn't even mention. So like also at conferences, aside from just networking with like other creators, they also have um, like brands and tourism boards there. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to make like one-on-one -on -one meetings um, with different people that you might want to work with. And that's a really good way to develop a potential relationship with them because you can always cold pitch, but if you've met someone in person, it's just way more effective. Yeah. And, and what would you be pitching typically, uh, to write articles for people or to, to collaborate? Um, so like it could be pitching for like working with tourism boards. So like when you're a content creator, you can get uh, what's like called a press trip or a fam trip, which is either mm -hmm. uh, like just a fully hosted trip to a destination. And in exchange, you write about it or create a video if you're a YouTuber. Um, and then sometimes if you have a big enough audience or, you know, you're, you're really like the right fit, you can also be paid for these trips on top of taking them. Um, but then you can also pitch hotels, uh, 
again, for like comp stays. I do have creator friends who have done like paid stays at hotels as well. Um, pitching for like tours, like really just anything that you would want to do that might, if like, but if the tour, the company, you know, if their audience that they're, you're there after is the same audience that you have, then it's beneficial for them to work with you and have you promote it. Yeah, no, you definitely sold me on these travel conferences. Um, Cause yeah, you spend maybe a couple hundred bucks on the ticket, but you get a bunch of free parties and food and um, yeah. like cool stuff to do. I mean, I guess it's more fun than a normal business conference, right? Cause it's travel, which it's- necessarily involves like activities. Yeah, it's honestly completely <laughs> different than what I would think. Like, I used to go to HR conferences when I was working for right, right. the government. They were so boring. Um, but travel conferences are like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can imagine, like, a bunch of travel content creators getting together. Like, it's just, it's always such a good time. Um, but, yeah, the Digital Nomad conferences are also, I think, going to become more popular. I just went to my my first one in uh you know, Bansko in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have Bansko Nomad Fest. I think it was the third year they did it. Um, so they invited me to come as press just to write about it. So it's like a week long festival um, of like 500 plus digital nomads just meeting um, in this beautiful town in Bulgaria. And they have like, it was interesting because I wasn't expecting like to, to meet so many other like creators there, but I guess of course they're kind of interlinked to Nomad. A lot of people have have travel blogs or YouTube. So I ended up meeting a bunch of creators and they had some brands there as well, like Safety Wang, which was great. Um, but it was just really fun, like meeting so many people who are doing different things. Um, you don't get as much value with that ticket. Like there's no, you, there was no free food or parties. I think that's more of like a travel blogging thing. But yeah, I'm definitely curious to check out uh, some different Nomad events coming up. Right. I guess because at the uh, travel blogging conferences, there's groups, there's tourist boards that are sort of trying to court favor with the travel bloggers. And so they kind of go more all out where maybe the digital Nomad stuff is more like internally organized, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is like when a tourism, like the digital Nomad Fest, like Bansko wasn't like hosted by the tourism board there. So I, I guess mm-hmm. they didn't have a big budget, which is totally fair. But uh, typically with a travel blogging conference, it'll always be hosted by a destination. And yeah, they just have the budget to spend on these parties and events. Okay. And where do you find uh, these travel conferences, uh, the travel blogger conferences? Um, For me, like when I started, it was just through like, learning from other bloggers like word of mouth but like i said i just wrote a blog post about all the different conferences i think it's like my explore with laura slash travel blogger conferences but i'll send you the link uh to make sure and you can put in the show notes because i have them all listed out yeah that's definitely cool and when you go do you typically uh give a, a talk give a speech or are you just uh participate i've never spoken at a conference no just when it's a participant but i have lots of friends who have no way. Do you do you have stage fright? Come on. We got to that, that should definitely be the 2023 uh, goal. I do have a little bit of stage fright honestly, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. No, that's awesome. So, you kind of started it, traveling in Latin America 
Uh, probably worth mentioning again that it seems like you've been to almost every country in Latin America, except like Venezuela and a couple others. Um, so you've spent a significant amount of time in the region, um, but you're you're calling in today from Chiang Mai, right? Yeah, I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And um, maybe we could talk a bit about Latin America, about um, how you've been spending time in Puerto Vallarta, uh, yeah. spending your winters there. And uh, I know you had some good write-ups on Chile and uh, yeah, lots of Latin America stuff. Yeah, definitely. So Mexico has for sure stolen my heart. I ended up moving there like two winters ago during the pandemic. Um, I was actually living in Costa Rica in Santa Teresa, but I wasn't really vibing with it. So then my friend Courtney, who's actually a travel blogger that I met at this first conference, she had just moved to PV and she's like, I got this apartment. It's like $280, like, per month. Uh, I have a spare room, like just come here and move with me. And I hadn't really considered Mexico as like a destination that I wanted to live in prior to that. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just cause like it kind of has this like bad reputation, um, in North America, but pretty much the second, as soon as I moved there, I was just like fell in love with it. I actually bought a niche website about Puerto Vallarta, like a domain made a niche website, I think on my second day, that I was there. And yeah, I don't know why, but it's just like, for me, it feels like home when I'm there. I always meet amazing people. And yeah, I I think I want to buy like an apartment there and kind of make it my like, my home base. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, Where where in uh, Varata is kind of your favorite area? Um, My favorite area to live is probably Versailles. Versailles, because it's just a bit more like low key than, uh, you know, like zone. Have you been there? I have been. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like Zona, I love Zona Romantica too, but it's obviously a bit more touristy and it's more expensive, um, to be living over there. So yeah, like last year I was subletting my friend's apartment, uh, in Versailles and that was really nice. Cause that's kind of like up and coming as a, like a food foodie area of PV. So there's a lot of really amazing restaurants there. Um, yeah, that's where, probably my where is that exactly? How do you spell it? V e r s a l l e s. Okay, it's, like the French kind of. Yeah, but I think they spell it with an I. Oh, uh, okay. I see where it is now. Okay. Yeah, it's um. Do you know? Well, like you know where like the South Hotel Zone is. Yeah, I'm looking at it on a map right now. Uh, so basically, it's kind of, it's like really in the the actual city, sort of uh, just off the highway. It's still close to the beach, though. But um, yeah, like kind of on the other, um, like, yeah, more in the city. What's it like more in the city? Because I must say, whenever I'm there, I'm kind of on like the Cinco de Dis- Actually, I've been kind of everywhere, but I haven't really been like into the core of the city. Uh, it's nice. It's just a little more relaxed and livable. Um, there's not really like, like, I guess there's no big hotels there or like, you know, like I just don't feel like it's like as touristy and like the streets are a little more quaint, like they're cobblestone. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, ton of good restaurants. And then it's just not that far from everything else. Like, I mean, it's a five minute walk and go to the beach that's in like Las Glorias and then you can walk to Cinco in like 15 minutes. So it's still very central. 
yeah, you're teaching me something. This this actually seems like a, a cool little area. Yeah, um, I recommend it. Yeah. Uh, what do you like about Puerto Vallarta? Could you talk a little bit about maybe cost of living, things to do, give us a little bit of a, uh, a nomad guide? Yeah, um, the cost of living is good. It's definitely gotten more expensive uh, in recent years. Like I said, when I went there first in 2020, I was paying, like I was living with two girls in this apartment, but we paid like 280 each um, per month, which I don't think you would find today. I actually, cause I'm, so I'm going back and I'm trying to find an apartment. I was browsing the Facebook groups and I saw like basically my old apartment listed, but it was listed for like 1700 us. And in 2020 it was 800 us. So I'm like, Oh my God, prices have definitely risen. Um, that's not to say that you can't find a good deal. Like, I mean, I have a friend who lives in like uh, zona romantica for, who has a two bedroom and I think he pays like 16,000 pesos per month, which is like 800 us. Um, but he signed a three-year lease. So you can definitely get better deals if you're willing to sign a lease. If you're doing like short-term rentals, it's going to be a little pricier, especially if you're using Airbnb. Like I would avoid that. Um, I just like the prices I've seen there are absolutely insane compared to what you can actually get. Um, yeah, I'd say a good tip is to just like get there and, ask around um like you can literally walk around the buildings and you'll see like say renta and you can you know mm -hmm. call the landlord and try to get a better deal because the prices i've seen online like are just very disproportionate from what i've actually seen living there but in terms of like other costs of living like it's very affordable compared to especially like the us or canada um the food's amazing obviously i love mexican food uh, in terms of like activities, it's for me a really good place because it has the oceans. Uh, so you have like water sports, um, there's like diving there, uh, you know, you can go like surfing, well, not directly in the city, but like an hour away, Sayulita, which is a really popular surf destination. Uh, there's like Los Arcos, uh, which is like this rock formation that has a bunch of wildlife around it. So you can go like snorkeling, diving there. Um, and then you also have like the mountains and that are really close to the city actually. So it's like this very mm -hmm. beautiful scenery of like the, the Pacific ocean with like the mountains in the backdrop. Um, and then you have these really nice like hiking coastal trails. I don't know if, if you've done the like uh, Colomitos to Las Animas hike. Uh, I definitely did one or two to some waterfalls. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really, I really like doing that. And yeah, the waterfalls are great. Um, yeah, for me, it's just like, I don't know, it's just a feeling like I always I feel really like I said, I feel like myself there. I feel really connected. Um, and everyone I meet is just kind of like on the same vibe. And I've noticed that other people say the same thing about it. They're like, yeah, it's just like magical here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about the digital nomad community, travel blogger, expat community in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, so Puerto Vallarta has been a popular spot for a while for like American um, expats. And it kind of has this reputation that it's just like a lot of American retirees who live there, um, which there are. But there's also a growing digital nomad scene, I would say, um, that I didn't know about before I lived there. And it's not like as big as, as some places like maybe Chiang Mai or, or like Tulum. But there's definitely a scene there. Um, 
there's some Facebook groups you can join. I think it's like Puerto Vallarta Digital Nomads. And then there's one that's like Young and Fun Expats of Puerto Vallarta. Um, so there's quite <laughs> a few events that happen. So basically, like on my third day there, I just like went on one of the Facebook groups, found that they were having an event at this bar and uh, went to it and then met this group of friends uh, who like immediately just invited me to come camping with them in the woods <laughs> the next day, which I went on and everyone was like, that sounds like a horror movie. Um, but it wasn't. That's actually how I met all my best friends there. <laughs> it was super fun. Um, yeah, I'd say like the community is very welcoming. And for me, it's always been really easy to meet people there. Yeah, that's good to know that there's like a growing uh, young people group. Because yeah. I think like a lot of people start in Playa del Carmen, but it's not it's not a year round destination just due to the, the climate and it's very hot in the summer and so forth. And one of the cool things about Vallarta is it could be much more of a year round destination. Um, and so I think like a lot of people in Playa are sort of like looking for alternatives uh, in other parts of Mexico, maybe in Merida or in Vallarta, Mexico City so forth so um yeah i definitely see Vallarta growing yeah i've definitely like just in the last two years alone like i've seen huge growth especially in the digital nomad community and it is pretty livable year-round i mean they do have the rainy season in the summer but honestly like i've been there in the end of june and it's not that bad it just typically rains for like an hour and then the rest of the day is nice one of the things laura that i noticed about your profile uh was you mentioned wildlife a couple times, um, and I think that that's a, an interesting angle. And so I wanted to know, kind of like, what does like wildlife uh, mean to you? Is this something where you, you're trying to like get a- educated and teach people about the wildlife of the of the places that you visit? And it, I think it sounds like you visit um, like less city destinations than the average person. And so it seems like you 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 probably spend a lot of time in like. I don't know, like small, small jungle mountain towns or something. That's kind of my impression. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I mean, now, like, I feel like because I'm work, I'm spending more time working online, I do live in cities, but I'm definitely drawn to places that are close to nature. I've always been obsessed with wildlife. Like, I'm just a huge animal lover. Um, so yeah, that was like a big part of the reason, like why I wanted to take that trip in like 2018 was that I just wanted to like see, see as much of the natural world as I could. And I think that's part of the reason I love Latin America so much is because there's just so much amazing wildlife there. Like I absolutely love the, the Amazon area. Um, and yeah, in terms, I don't know, for me, it's just like, it just, there's no feeling like it's the best feeling in the world when you just like see an animal in the wild. Um, I just absolutely love it. It's like an adrenaline rush for me, especially if I get a good photo of it. Yeah, uh, definitely. So what yeah. are, I, I like I saw you've been to the Galapagos. What are some of the places that you've been to uh, in Latin America? Some of the notable experiences that you've had? Uh, yeah, Galapagos, hands down, probably my favorite destination in the world for wildlife. It's just like unreal there. Uh, you can jump in the ocean and you'll have like sea lions <laughs> coming up and like bopping your GoPro uh, and like giant tortoises just like walking around. It's super cool. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the Amazon in Ecuador was also really amazing, taking like a river cruise down there. Um, I'll, another place that's like not really specifically for wildlife, but just like, I mean, they did have like, like, yeah, actually it was really good for wildlife. Um, between, I don't know if you've done like between Bolivia and Chile, like to the, or Chile to Bolivia from like the San Atacama Desert to like the salt flats. It's, uh, it's definitely on the, the bucket list. Yeah, that was a really cool trip. Um, cause the, like the Atacama Desert is absolutely like, amazing for stargazing and just kind of has like otherworldly landscapes and rock formations that kind of make you feel like you're on Mars or the moon or something. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can do this like trip on a four by four where you're driving through these crazy landscapes and you'll just see like, uh, like llamas like walking across the salt flats and or like giant like huge flocks of like pink flamingos like standing on these reflecting lakes it was just one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen yeah that's really cool um, and so yeah I saw you'd, you'd spend a pretty extensive amount of time in Chile um, sounds like you've been kind of like north to south or like because you've done Patagonia stuff as well yeah, I actually haven't seen all of Chile because I was kind of hopping between Argentina and Chile when I was traveling in Patagonia. So it's like I was at the bottom at Lake Torres del Paine, and then I went back to Argentina, and then I came through Salta, Argentina, and went back to the desert, and then up to Bolivia. So I actually missed the entire like middle section. I like I've never been to Santiago, so mm -hmm. yeah, I would love to go back someday and see more of Chile. It's definitely a a really diverse country like it's so interesting in its landscape because it's so long nice yeah the northern northern chile definitely seems really interesting in the salt flats so you did the amazon as well um well yeah what was that like what was the ecuadorian amazon like it was beautiful have you been to the amazon in any parts of south america i have not Okay, well, I definitely recommend Ecuador as like a good place to do it. I mean, I guess it's the only place I've done it, but I just felt like the value of what I got was incredible. I don't know if it's still the same price because this is 2018, but I think I paid like, I booked like a four day trip from this hostel in Quito and I think it was like 250 US and it was like included this really beautiful eco lodge, like very nice for being in the middle of the jungle. Mm -hmm. And then we would, we stayed overnight in the eco lodge, but then every day we would do two like, uh, trips on a boat, um, up the river, just kind of looking for different animals. And we got to go like swimming, uh, in the river, which is kind of scary because it's completely dark, like the water. Um, but I didn't get bit by anything. And we saw like those river dolphins, uh, which the pink dolphins, which was super cool. Um, and then just tons of like exotic birds flying above you, tons of different species of monkeys. And then as well, we did some like hiking, uh, inland just from the eco lodge passing by like giant trees with really crazy plants and also a lot of like spiders. That's like the one downside of the Amazon. There's a lot of insects there. Um, but I didn't get bit by anything. So I think it's safe. That's cool. Uh, yeah. What, what have been some of your other experiences, uh, specifically in Latin America, be it 
um, memorable experiences, maybe mishaps, maybe funny stories, cool experiences that people uh, should check out? Mm, I think some of my most memorable, oh, for wildlife, I one of my favorites was in Argentina at like the bottom in Ushuaia. You can go to this island um, and walk with penguins. It's so cute. There's like hundreds of these little like black and white penguins that just live on this island. Um, and yeah, they have these like day tours you can take to visit them and you're just kind of walking around and like all these little penguins are like coming up to you and they're very curious. So that's a very, very cute experience. Penguins are my favorite animal. So I love that. I really want to go to Antarctica. Like that's super high on my bucket list, but obviously it's really expensive to go there. So if you can't afford it, uh, Southern, Southern Patagonia is kind of like a sort of a similar experience, but much more affordable. Um, and then also Peru, like I did the hiking, I did the Inca trail four day hike is definitely one of the most memorable hikes I'd say I've ever done. It's just like very, it was almost like therapeutic, just like, cause you're completely disconnected. There's no internet, obviously. So you're just hiking for like four days to the Andes mountains, which are breathtaking. Um, and then eventually obviously reaching Machu Picchu, which is amazing, but honestly, like the best part of that tour for me was the hike itself. Like it was actually a bit overwhelming getting to Machu Picchu and then seeing like, cause you can just take a train or a bus there. And like, there's all of a sudden like thousands of people there where when you're doing the hike, like you really don't see anyone other than just like the few other hiking groups. So yeah, I would recommend that experience if you, if you have the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You've, de- you've definitely done a lot of the, the major trips in Latin America. Yeah, I mean, I really want to go back and like, I kind of have this this goal to like go and visit all the countries that I haven't seen there yet. But um, it's, but uh, I guess like I've spent so much time traveling in Latin America that I'm like, okay, I should see like other parts of the world, <laughs> which is why I'm in Asia now, but I definitely still feel like drawn to it. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone that's uh, looking to uh, start leading a a nomadic lifestyle? Maybe they haven't taken the plunge yet. Um, Well, I would say first, like figure out how you're going to make money online. Um, Because I mean, you can just save up money and travel, but that obviously has like an end date. And so when I actually took the trip in 2018, I took it like as if I was, that was like the only year I was going to travel. And then I ended up coming back and trying to figure out how to do the lifestyle forever. And I'm like, in hindsight, I wish I had just started at home, like making money online and then set out and doing like the slow matting. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just spent a lot of money on that trip. And I mean, I had a great time, obviously did a lot of bucket list experiences, but it wasn't necessary. So yeah, I think it's better if you can kind of set yourself up with uh, with some online work before you set off. Um, and then when you're first starting off, I would recommend living somewhere, uh, A, that's like cheap. And because you're probably like, especially if you're doing freelancing, like you probably don't have a lot of income coming in. So it's just going to make life a lot easier. Um if you're, if your costs of living are lower and then also choosing somewhere that has like a really solid 
digital nomad community because again it's just going to make it way easier to network and integrate and like learn like the ins and outs of life versus if you go somewhere that you know just doesn't have that community it might just be like a bit more isolating so for example chiang mai i think is like an amazing destination for your first like it's obviously isn't my first destination but i've met a lot of people here who it is and they're just like absolutely loving it, like want to continue nomad life. And I just think it's perfect because it's super affordable and the community here is awesome. So it's just a really good place to like get set up when you're first starting out. So uh, next question, what do you think is holding people back from getting started? What do you, People must come to you all the time and say, hey, I want to be like living this lifestyle. Um, what, what advice do you have for people and what do you think they they're not seeing? Um, I think for a lot of people, at least this is the way that I felt like when I was in Canada, is that you just don't realize how, like, how do I word this? Like, it's hard to see it when you're when you're working like quote unquote normal life because we're kind of taught this like story that this is like the only way to live. Like we we have to work these these jobs so that we can buy an expensive house and have this and have that. And it's just not true anymore. Like there's so many different ways to live. And I think once you take that leap and you see people living, like I said, like getting these different perspectives, like it really just, you're like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? And I've heard that from people who waited like years trying to figure out like, like, oh, can I do this? Like, when is it going to be the right time? And this whole idea of like the right time, I don't think exists. Like, I think the right time is now. I mean, granted, obviously, I think people have, you know, maybe some stuff to figure out. But like, if you really want something, it is achievable. Like, but you have to be willing to sacrifice like some of your life. Like I got rid of my life in Canada, essentially, in terms of like my stuff, like I sold all my stuff, I got rid of my apartment, but that was like a cash influx for me to be able to do this lifestyle. And like, I quit my job, that was a very big safety net. That was like a huge risk. But now like, I'm a 1000 times happier. And I'm living this like life I used to dream about. So it does involve like some level of risk. Um, it's obviously a lot easier if you if you just have like if you're working remotely already. Um, I know a lot of people are since COVID. Then I think it's it's easier to make the jump. Um, but yeah, I think people just kind of get trapped in this like oh, but I have this house and I have these friends and blah blah blah. But it's like you just kind of have to sacrifice that for something that you might for a better life. And for me, that's totally been the case and is the case for most people I meet. So yeah, a lot of it I think has to do with just like having that faith and like taking the leap is a big part. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone has their remote job, they're ready to take the leap. I think like one of the best things you said that people can do is um, find a, a community of expats and digital nomads and sort of integrate into that community. Um, how do people find these groups, these communities? What should people be looking for? Um, so blogs are a great way to find uh, find different places. Like I'm actually writing a blog post right now about how to find community as a digital nomad. Um, but if you... 
So like if you're just trying to get like a general overview, um, I have some posts I can send you of different of different places. And then if you become interested in one place, they're like, okay, I think Mexico is like the place for me. Um, Facebook groups are an amazing resource. So a good way to find out if a place has a digital nomad community is just to go search on Facebook, like whatever city, say like Puerto Verde, and then digital nomad and like a Facebook group. If it has a community, it's going to come up. Um, and you can kind of gauge from that, like how active it is, and you can ask questions within it or read what other people have asked. Um, and also just like connect with people. Like you can even make friends before you go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than that, like just following, I, I get so much of my inspiration just from talking to other people. It's kind of like a snowball effect. Like once you pick your first destination, you're going to end up meeting other digital nomads there and they're going to be like, Oh, I lived here. It was great. Or like this place wasn't great. And you kind of just get this like, uh, insider knowledge. But if you're starting out and you're at home, I would definitely say like, uh, following like, uh, bloggers and YouTubers, um, who are talking about this. There's so many, and then, um, Facebook groups as well. Mm -hmm. And what kind of budget do you think people need to make this happen? Um, that completely depends on where you want to live. Like I said, I think there's definitely a lot of benefit of moving somewhere that's um, more affordable because then you can obviously leave without, uh, you can leave with less money. Like for, I think Chiang Mai, you can live here for less than a thousand dollars a month, which is pretty crazy. Um, but obviously if you decide like, oh, I want to be a nomad in the US, like you're going to need like probably six times that. I don't know. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to give like an exact budget range because it definitely depends on where you're living. Mm-hmm. So what do you think's like the ideal kind of pace or setup um, after you get the like hardcore travel out of your system? Like, do you think, would you sort of continue to be like a perpetual traveler? I guess now you kind of have a base in Vallarta. What, what, like, what do you think is a good setup of kind of like chilling in, in a base, maybe keep an apartment somewhere uh, year round versus, I don't know, more like fast paced travel? <laughs> yeah, this is a really interesting question because this is like what I've been struggling with the last year and what I'm trying to figure out for next year. So for me, I've been traveling quite quickly, I would say between places. And I actually don't think this is an ideal setup at all. Because when you're traveling, um, when you're constantly changing locations, like it's just takes so much of your energy to kind of figure out like where I'm going to sleep, like where I'm going to eat, like, oh, I have to find my gym. I have to find my community. Like every time you're restarting, it just takes energy um, away. And it's not that I like regret what I've done. Like I've seen so much of the world and I'm so grateful for it, but I'm just getting to the point where I'm feeling really burnt out. And I'm realizing that the times that I feel the most happy in my life are the times that I'm living somewhere for like a couple of months. I would say it usually takes like a month before you feel kind of even like integrated into a place. So like Mm -hmm. a month minimum. um, And then I think maybe three months might be ideal, but I know there's nomads, you know, who, who live places much longer than that, but it just kind of depends on your personality and, how willing you are to move around. Um, so yeah, that's actually like what I'm trying to figure out <laughs> in the next year. So I think I'm going to try to do more like a 
three months in a play strategy and see how that goes. What are some of your favorite digital nomad hotspots or cities, most livable cities, places you can see yourself living? Um, well, Puerto Vallarta, obviously, we talked about Chiang Mai. Definitely, it's my first time here, but it's completely stolen my heart. Um, Lisbon, Portugal is probably my favorite place in Europe. Um, I was in Dahab in Egypt last year, which I think is a really underrated digital nomad destination. It's very affordable. Um, where else? I was in Bali last this year and like, I could like, I did like it, but it was very hectic and I didn't like it as much. Like everybody like loves it. It's obviously really popular for a reason. Um, for me, I don't really see myself living there long-term, but I can see the appeal. Like that is a very convenient place to live as a digital nomad. Like everything you could ever want. is just like at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Mexico and Thailand for me are the two, the countries that work the best. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Mexico and Thailand, definitely a, a best of both worlds. How, yeah. how, do you, how do you sort of think about that? Like uh, Latin America versus Asia versus Europe, uh, time zone considerations, uh, et cetera. How do you, how do you think about all that and, maybe splitting your time between different regions? Yeah, so for me, I'm lucky because I work for myself, so I don't have to consider different time zones. Um, obviously, if you're working for a company, that is going to be like a major consideration if you have to be on calls. Like I met this guy actually in Bali who worked for a Canadian company, and he actually worked from like midnight to 8 a.m., and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, it is not <laughs> worth it to live in Bali, just like live in Mexico or something. Um, but, you know, I guess for some people, it, it is worth it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the, like, most up-and-coming, like, digital nomad hotspots or where the where the community is going next? Um, I'm, like... In terms of, I like, well, I, I think Mexico and, and Thailand, like, have been, I think Mexico more so in, like, recent years has definitely become more popular thanks to the pandemic. Uh, like, Bansko, that place I was in Bulgaria, like, I didn't know about that before I went there. And it does seem like a lot of people are starting to discover that. I know, like, Georgia, like, Tibsley is, I hear people talking about a lot. Um, I haven't been there yet, but it might be on my list for this year. Um, in terms of Asia, like places that I haven't been yet, but I'm hearing people talk about, uh, like, well in Bali, like Uluwatu specifically, it's just kind of like Chengdu is like the main place, but Chengdu is becoming so popular that I think a lot of people are like just moving south to Uluwatu. Um, Kuala Lumpur, I've heard a lot of people talk about, uh, Penang in Malaysia. Um, yeah, in terms of Europe, uh, Lisbon definitely, but it's already very popular. Uh, I was living in Tenerife, Spain, like the Canary Islands, I think are becoming very popular, mm-hmm. uh, especially for people who have to be on the European time zone because it's like one of the few places in Europe that's warm during the winter. So mm-hmm. I didn't love living there, but a lot of people do. <laughs> what didn't you like about it? 
<laughs> again, it's just like a vibe, like a feeling I got. Like I just didn't feel like I was connected to the to place and the people that I met there. Um, it is beautiful. It's just like I was on Tenerife and it's just a bit, it's just a bit small, I guess, for me. Um, and it's like very touristy. Like I felt like I could have been there for like a week and it was would have been fine. And I was there for like two months. But mm-hmm. it is a nice place. <laughs> yeah. What what destinations do you think have like the strongest digital nomad community or the community that makes you feel uh, the most welcomed? Mm, I would say like Chiang Mai definitely has one of the strongest like communities I've seen and welcoming communities. Like Bali has a very strong community, but I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say it's like the most welcoming. Mm. Mm -hmm. Lisbon, I think is a really great place that the community there is very welcoming. Um, And for me, like obviously PV, I feel very welcomed, but I know some people in Mexico relate more to like Mexico City or Puerto Escondido is another popular one, Um, Playa or Tulum. So you kind of just have to go and like and feel for yourself because a place that feels great to me isn't necessarily going to feel great to someone else. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah, those are definitely uh, a lot of good options for people. Uh, well, Laura, I guess, uh, you know what time it is. You could, uh, use a minute to, um, tell the audience about anything that you would like to put their attention towards projects you have, uh, your website again, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. So if you're looking for advice on different digital nomad destinations, getting started on a lifestyle, finding community, I have a ton of posts that I've written and I'm writing more. Um, you can find on my website, uh, explorewithlaura.com, L-O-R-A. And then on social media, you can find me at explorewithlaura. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok. I'm going to be doing a series on finding um, different online jobs actually this year. So yeah, follow me there for more info and tips. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.